Well, hello everybody. It is great to see you, great to welcome you to Pathway, whether you are in person, whether you are listening online today or in one of our venues on our Moon campus, wherever this finds you. Glad that you are here. As we anticipate getting into the Scriptures, before we actually turn to them, I have something else I want to draw your attention to. If uh, you are using the app, you can find it on the app. If you have the Pathway Notes, you can find an actual flyer inside there. It looks like this. If you would please take this out for a moment, or if you'd find it on the app, if you're listening online, or you can also find it on our website, different ways to access the content that is here. This is announcing... Uh, an initiative that we are doing in this Christmas season, which we have done before. This is familiar to you if you've been a part of Pathway for more than a year, because we do this every Christmas season. We call it Give Joy to the World. In fact, this is Pathway's 10th year of doing clean water projects around the world. It seems impossible that it's been that many already, but it has. This is our 10th year of giving joy to the world. And we do that in the form of water and in the form of living water, the gospel as well, because the need is immense around the world. If you open up the little flyer on the inside, you can see that it speaks to the need, the number of people who are lacking access to clean drinking water in our world, the number who lack access to a toilet, the number who lack access to having clean sanitation or good sanitation practices. And part of what our taking water to the world does is it not only takes the water itself in the form of clean water wells, new wells that we dig, and it provides water in those places of need, but along with that goes education on how to, or best hygiene sorts of practices. And uh, there's so many people who are dying around the world for or through circumstances that don't have to be the case, and we're all about changing that. And you can see some of those details there. It's uh, remarkable. It is staggering, especially for those of us who are just so accustomed to having clean water. In the past years, we have actually done our projects in Africa. This year, for our 10th year, we're going to be shifting that to India. We're going to be providing wells in northern India in regions that are among the poorest of the poor. And you hear that all the time, but that really is the case in this circumstance. Tremendous need, tremendous water need there. And in fact, it is the, the statistics show that 20% of the children under the age of five who die in the world are in India. 20% in India alone, for reasons such as what we're seeking to address through this project. And you can see, again, some of the things there. I wrote a few things there for you to also go ahead and read and come to understand. Another reason that we're going to India is because there's a unique gospel opportunity that is going on. And we're going to continue to flesh this out in the weeks that are coming. I'm not going to just tell you everything right now. There's more to fill you in on, but there's a unique gospel opportunity in this Hindu land. It is predominantly Hindu in India. You probably already know that. There's a tremendous gospel need, but there's also tremendous restrictions on how you can share the gospel. Well, water, providing water wells, is turning a corner for this in a very unique way, and I look forward to telling you much more about that, how it 
relates to church planting, brand new works that are starting in places that are in such desperate need. And the more of that to come. On the back side of the flyer, you can see the, some of the different ways that you can give, the ways that you can participate in doing that, and I'll let you read that for yourself, but you would be prayerful about this throughout this Christmas season, and that you would go ahead and contribute. We're sort of um, leading up to Christmas Eve, when uh, we'd love to sort of have a culmination of all of this, so you can be praying about it. We've got a couple of weeks, or maybe you already know already I'm jumping in on this, as so many of you uh, have done in the past. I just want to make you aware of this. We're going to be having this focus throughout the Christmas season, and I look forward to the ways that we're going to be able to take clean water to meet real needs and also take the gospel, the living water of the gospel, that is going to meet real gospel salvation, eternal needs as well. So very excited about that. Today we are going to be focusing our attention in a passage of Scripture that will probably sound familiar to you. Even if you're new to church, some of these words and these texts are going to sound familiar. I invite you to go ahead and turn there if you would. It's Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. So if you go ahead and open to that spot, your Bible app or in your Bible, and so you'll have that ready. We're going to get into that text here in just a minute, but be helpful to go ahead and find your way there as we begin. Today we're kicking off a brand new Christmas sermon series we're calling Imagine. Imagine, that's what we want to do in these days. And I want to imagine with you over these weeks that are coming in a couple of different directions. I want to look back and imagine if we can put ourselves in the place of what it would have been like to be shepherds or servants or kings in the first century. What would that, we want to imagine what it would have been like back then, but we also want to look forward and we want to imagine what difference that makes for us today, to ponder. So what? Because those things happen. What difference does that make for us in the lives that we are living today? I want to get us imagining how circumstances were and how they are and ultimately can be. Now, I need to warn you, right as we get this started, this is not going to be easy. I mean this imagining thing. It's not going to be very easy for most of us. And the reason is because studies have shown that while we're very good at being imagining sort of people when we're young, when we're kids, before we're even out of our teenage years, we have taken a significant and steep decline in our imagination. It's largely gone by that point. That is just the fact of the matter as it exists today. And that's one of the reasons that I'm very happy that the series that we're jumping into, the text we're going to be looking at, we're not just looking at in the worship center or online at home or in our other campuses, what have you, but we're looking at it across the whole of the ministry, including the children, including the youth. And the fact is that there are some things that we can learn from our kids when it comes to imagination that are going to help all of us grow forward, I do believe. Now, it's not that adults don't have the ability to imagine. We have the ability to imagine, but the fact of the matter is that we willingly put it on the shelf. We set it aside, and the reason is because we've learned something else, and we have learned expediency. 
Because what has happened for us, what happens to us as we grow and as we mature, we start to look for shortcuts. We look for ways that we might get something done. And when something works for us, maybe even helps us to get progress towards some goal, something clicks inside of us and we say, do that. Always do that. Because that's what worked. And as a result, we've been doing that over and over and over again, the same way, over and over again. Could it possibly be that there's a better way or a different way to approach some of the things that we've been approaching in the same way for so long? We're going to challenge that idea, that notion in this Christmas season that we've already arrived at what there is that is best for us. The the dictionary says that to imagine is to form a picture in your mind of something that you have not seen or experienced. We're going to ask if there's something else for us to experience in this season that's stretching before us. Something else that God would desire us to understand. Something else about the call of God that we might come to experience that we haven't in the past because we've been so busy pursuing expediency, setting aside imagination, setting aside the possibility of something new and something different. We're going to be looking at four different aspects, four different places where we want to be better at imagining. And today we get that kicked off by looking at the topic of imagine joy. That's where we're starting today. Imagine joy. I wonder, As we get this started, how joyful a person do you consider yourself to be? If you would say very, then you are in a very small minority of people in our world today. The University of Chicago did a study on this, and what they came to conclude or have come to understand that today Americans are more unhappy today than they have been since 1972. Now I heard that, I read that, and I thought, well, what in the world happened in 1972? And then it dawned on me. Leisure suits, (laughs) disco, eight-track tapes, pet rocks. Many of you remember 1972, right? Right? And that makes some sense. Why? All right. But that's not actually what the study was saying. It actually wasn't that anything was wrong about 72. It's that that's when the study started. And so what it's actually saying is that there's never been a time when Americans have been less happy than they are right now. Now, I'm sure that we can all come up with some conclusions and some ideas about why right now is a circumstance, why 2020 is a situation or a context in which people are less joyful than they've ever been before with a global pandemic and unrest and division and strife and and discord and job losses and on and on. We can understand, we can figure out why that might be the case, but the fact is there's been strife before. Remember how just before the pandemic, Mass shootings in our country, again and again and again, we were seeing it on the news, and we were just as upset and just as outraged. Terrorist attacks, world wars, 
We can point to any point in time. In fact, I want to look way back before that. I want to take us all the way back to the first part of the first century and take a look at what was going on then in that context. It was a very depressing environment. Taxation was out of control. In fact, some scholars have said that the taxation level was right at about 50 or 60 percent. And you don't like your tax bracket. <laughs> how, would you, how would you like to have lived then? It's crazy. And the taxes that were being collected, they were be, being used to advance civic projects and, and build roads. And those taxes were simply being collected to line the pockets of emperors and kings. There weren't civil rights like we call for them today. Women especially were being oppressed in that culture. If you weren't among the privileged, you were walking around despairing. You weren't walking around thinking, well, one day I'm going to make it. I'm going to get out of this circumstance I'm in. That's not what you were thinking. You were not imagining joy. You were settling in for a life of tremendous hardship. Now, it's interesting, but even among peasants, those who are at the lowest part of the cultural ladder, there's a hierarchy. And today, I want to think about some people who were at the bottom of the bottom class. They had no rights. They had no standing whatsoever. In fact, they were so disregarded that if they had witnessed been an eyewitness to some crime, they wouldn't have been called to court. And even if they were in court, nobody would have listened to what they had to say. They were shepherds. That's a group of people. They were shepherds. They weren't imagining joy. They were just trying to survive. And Luke, in his account for us, which is his first century historical record, he tells us that there were some of these shepherds just outside of town, a podunk little town, didn't mean anything back then. Today it means a lot to us, but it didn't back then. There were some of these shepherds that were out there just doing their job one ordinary night when something transpired that would change their lives forever that stunned them beyond imagination. Surprise of their life. Here's the way that Luke records it. If you look at verse 9, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You think? <laughs> of course they were terrified. They'd never seen anything like this. Not ever. The glory of the Lord shown around them. Imagine what that is. I mean, other places in the Scriptures, when the glory of the Lord comes around, people end up on their knees in awe and admiration. In other places, we find that it continues to linger and radiate from them even after the glory is gone. That's what they're seeing. That's what they're experiencing. And I think there's something else that even adds a little something to this that we don't typically picture in our mind. Every time that I've seen this setting depicted. What you have is you have some shepherds that are standing around. There are a few sheep there that you see along with them, and there's an angel. Where's the angel? Up in the sky, oftentimes at a distance. I don't think that's where the angel was. The text doesn't say the angel was up in the sky and somewhere far away. I think the angel was right there on the ground, standing right in front of them. 
Scripture completely allows for that understanding of what's going on here. And of course they're afraid. They've never seen anything like this. This is stunning. This is shocking to them. And what's the angel's message? Verse 10, this is important. Look at this verse. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, we're imagining that great joy. And the first thing that we need to do if we're going to understand this and imagine this joy is to ask, well, who's it for? Who's it for? What Luke tells us is that it's for or angel tells us, is that it's for all the people. Now, this had a special fulfillment for the Jews. This is their Messiah who is coming. That's awesome. But guess what? We are also all the people. You and me. We're all the, this is just as much for us as it was for them. This great news, this good news of great joy is for us. We need to stop and ponder it. We need to imagine that joy and what difference it would make for us. And in order for us to understand that, we need to ask, well, what was the good news that brought the great joy in the first place? And I want to give you a few different things here that might just inspire or enervate our joy. Okay? So what's the good news few different aspects to it. The first of them that brings good news, or the first piece of the good news that brings great joy, is that God is with us. That God is with us. While the angel is there with the shepherds, the angel just comes right out and tells them, all right, let me just tell you what the good news is. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. The angel tells them, look guys, this is the big one that Israel has been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is it. Your Messiah has come. Unfortunately, they didn't even really completely understand that, understand the reason that he had come. But Isaiah knew. In fact, Isaiah had predicted it 700 years before it actually happened. He wrote these familiar words, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And later, Matthew would actually quote that verse in his own gospel. And when he did, he wanted to be sure that we understood what Emmanuel means. And so he interprets it in his passage in Matthew. He says, Emmanuel, God with us. That's the joy we're imagining today is God being with us. It's our first piece of good news. Mankind has always had a desire to be with God. In fact, every religion has been established essentially out of man's attempt to get to God. They look at doing it different ways, but that's basically what they're all about. Christmas is different. Christmas is God's attempt to get to man, to come to us. Why would he do that? because of the depth of his desire to be with us. One summer, when Carolyn and I were dating, we were living that summer in different places. I was in Colorado and she was in Minnesota. But I was smitten by this girl. And I had to go see her. And so I made plans to go see her. The problem was 
that I couldn't get any time off work, so it was going to have to be a quick trip. But that didn't dissuade me. I was still going to go. So I got in the car, and I drove the about 26 hours round trip to be with her for less than 24 hours. Her parents thought I was nuts, which incidentally they still think. But it was the depth of my desire that made that trip actually easy. Well, Jesus' trip to earth is a whole lot more consequential than, than my trip was. But it's motivated out of much of the same heart. His desire to be with us. He had something he desired to do. Something he needed to accomplish. And so he left heaven and came to earth. Christmas reminds us that God came to be with us for 33 years from the cradle to the cross. He was with us. Entered our world to dwell with us. But even after he ascended into heaven after the resurrection, God is still with us through the indwelling presence of his Spirit. Don't dismiss that. We need to understand exactly what that really is all about. See, he is with us in our highs and with our lows. He's with us in the time of our pain and when we might face some difficult diagnosis to bring us comfort, to bring us peace. He is with us in the challenging circumstances that would come our way, the pain and the, and the trials and the, and the hardships so that he might support and encourage us. He is with us in our failures, in our addiction, in our sin to bring the truth to us. The truth is that God has inserted himself into our story, even for those who've been pushing him away. Maybe that's you, for months, maybe for years. He's still attempting to get to you. See, there have been those here recently who've been accusing God of being aloof or being distant or, or not caring or, or not responding, just being gone off doing his own thing because of all of the challenges that we've been experiencing in this year. But that just doesn't hold water as an explanation. Because Jesus came to be with us and continues to be with us through His Spirit. And if we don't see it, if we don't feel it, it's because we've allowed some sort of barrier to be erected, some sort of interference in our lives that's standing in the way of our fellowship with God. What we need to do is just stop for a moment. We need to stop and imagine the joy of walking in relationship with Jesus. Imagine what it would have been like to be there in the first century, and maybe have the opportunity to eat with Jesus, or to rub shoulders with Jesus, or to walk along and sit on the hillside and listen to Jesus teach and watch him do a miracle. Imagine what it would have been like to experience the joy of God with us. We tend to think, well, that's too bad. Those lucky people were able to have that. We don't get that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Maybe in a little bit different form, but the same presence 
is with us. We dismiss it. It's time for us to stop and imagine the joy of the fact that God is present with us, in us. It doesn't say anywhere in the Scriptures that God was with us. It says God is with us. What would that look like in your contemplations in this season? To consider the fact that the presence of Jesus is every bit as real for you as it was for Peter or Paul or any of the disciples. And that you can have that experience. What joy might that bring to you as you imagine the reality of what is present in your heart as a believer in Jesus? Good news of great joy is that God is with us. Also, secondly, that God will save us. God will save us. Just before Matthew gave his insight that Emmanuel means God with us, he gave us some other instruction about name meanings. It came just a couple of verses earlier there in Matthew chapter 1. It's there that we read about Mary. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. It means God is salvation. It means God saves. See, names in the Bible are very significant. They're chosen because they're believed to, to speak to who that person, who that child is going to become, or something that is already true about them. That's how those names were given in the Bible. We don't concern ourselves with name meanings in the same way as they did. Not these days. In fact, you probably don't even know what your name means. And because we don't pay that much attention in our day and age, there are actually people in our congregation who have names that mean things like night monster, bitter, one whose singing lures men to destruction. <laughs> I'm not making these up. Crooked nose. And one unfortunate soul actually has a name that means pig. I'm not going to tell you who these people are. It might be you. <laughs> You'd probably know if one of those was specifically you. But we don't give consideration to names that we're giving or that we have in the same way that they'd. But they do care. And it's very important that we would understand, and this is what they're saying, that you understand that this is Jesus because he came to save people from their sins. That's what he does. That's important because it also makes clear as we understand what Jesus means, what he came to do. It's important because it also tells us what he did not come to do. Jesus does not mean accuser. Jesus does not mean mad at you. Jesus does not mean always disappointed. He came to save. And when we put our trust in him, we can imagine joy because of what he's accomplished. Because as we put our trust in him, his work in us is fulfilled. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
Nothing else is required. As we say and have said many, many, many times around here, it's Jesus plus what? Nothing. That's exactly right. Jesus plus nothing else is required. That should inspire. That should cause us to imagine a joy that would just live in us, that would rise up in us. Good news of a great joy is that God is with us, that God will save, and also that God will use us. God is with us. God will save us. God will use us. After the angel appeared to the shepherds and told them about the birth of Jesus, a multitude of angels were told, a great host, come and gather with the first angel, probably all right there in front of them, not way off in the distance up in the heavens. I'm guessing just right there with them. And they bring their declarations of glory to God in the highest. And then the attentions focus back on the shepherds. Verse 15, when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so closes the book on the shepherds. But, do you notice I skipped a verse? There's another verse that's tucked in there. It doesn't seem like it belongs. It seems a bit out of place. It's verse 19. Been talking about the shepherds, and all of a sudden Mary gets thrown in there. Here's what it says. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary would have had volumes of things to treasure and to ponder in her heart. Already, Jesus is only hours old. She would have so much to ponder. How she had her own angelic visitation. Came and told her that she was going to give birth to the Christ child. She might have been treasuring and pondering what it felt like to, to feel the Christ child move inside of her. Maybe the untimely journey to Bethlehem. Maybe the dingy manger or the mangy shepherds. I'm sure that she was also pondering the fact that God chose to use her. That's the way that God does so much of his work. It's by using people who are available to serve and engage and to make a difference. She's pondering these things and imagining, pondering them brought her joy. You can know that because she says so in her song, Mary's song, sometimes called the Magnificat. It comes at the end of Luke chapter 1 where she proclaims, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit, what's the word? Rejoices. Rejoices. It's joy. 
in God my Savior. She's imagining joy to be sure. As this Advent season gets underway, I want us to imagine. I want us to imagine what God might want to do for you. You see, here's the thing, friends. You're on a trajectory for what your season is going to be. You're already on it. It's already set. It's already established. And if you don't do anything, it's probably going to look very much like it's looked in the past, in other seasons gone by. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just wondering, is it possible that God would have in mind for you a trajectory that would take you somewhere else? Is it possible that God would have something in store that would lead to something new, a call that he has for your life that would lead you to some other direction to accomplish something else that he has in store for you? Is it really just supposed to be the same on and on and on and on year after year after year? I'm not saying that you shouldn't celebrate traditions and all. I'm just asking you to imagine what God might choose to do in you, in your family, in your context that's different than ever before. Now, I warned you already, it's not going to be easy because we already are established in our ways. We've already figured out expediency. We know what works. And so our first inclination is to refuse this whole idea. But what we need to do is to refuse the notion that we shouldn't or couldn't stop. That we couldn't ponder. That we couldn't imagine. We can. I believe we must. I don't know what God will lead you to. But I know that God is always doing new things. And I know that God has a call on all of our lives to accomplish things we've never accomplished before. Some things we've known all along He wants us to do and we've just been resistant. So I want this season to be one where we imagine. Where we ponder things in our own hearts and ask God what He would do. It's also going to require that we would be willing to pause. That's something that we're not very good at. I shouldn't accuse you. Something I'm not very good at. And you might be in my boat a little bit now and then. Because if we don't pause, we're not going to have time to receive, time to imagine, time to hear from heaven. I would encourage you to use our Imagine devotional booklet that you'd read your way through each one each day and then you'd prayerfully consider and ask God what would you have for me in this? Or it could very well be he'll just take that time when he's got your attention and take you somewhere that doesn't have anything to do with the devotion but where he wants you to be. And if you've got kids at home, don't leave them out. Remember, they're already the best imaginers that we've got. And they might spout out with something and you're like, eh, you dismiss it. Because you've already figured out how that won't work. Well, maybe it won't work in the old system of expediency. But it just might be a word from God. Through your kids. Through an inkling. Through a consideration. 
through a thought. We'll never know if we're not willing to take some time to stop and imagine what God wants to do. I know there's something. Are we going to find it? Are we going to pay enough attention to recognize it while it's there in front of us? So let's imagine there's good news of great joy that God is with us, that God will save us, and that God will use us. Let's not miss out on what God has in store. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you have chosen to use your people to accomplish your purposes. Thank you for Mary and her pondering spirit, imagining how you desired to use her in being willing and available. Thank you for the way that you use those that the world has cast aside, for those who have been marginalized. You gave the most important message to the lowliest of people because you turn what we think to be wisdom on its head. And it could very well be that there's a wisdom that we believe that we have and have fallen into through expediency and other reasons that's actually been causing us to block imagination, to block your voice as it would come to us. Lord, help us to be people who imagine like children. You, you've, you've used children and taught us through children in the past. So whether that's the source, whether it's straight from your spirit, however it comes, I pray that this season would be one where we don't get to the end of it and say, oh, that was a lot like it's been before. Or I missed out. Or it sped by. Or I didn't really hear at all from God. And Father, today it just captures my attention that as we're thinking about the fact that the good news that caused great joy had to do with Jesus coming for a reason, had to do with God being with us and the fact that God will save us. And Lord, it may be that there's some here who need that salvation, who need to know God as Savior. Friend, if you're here today and you're just not sure whether you are living in that faith, whether that you've put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, you can do that right now, just praying to God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his coming to be with us so that we might see his glory, so that we might understand the depth of your love for us, sending Jesus to the cross to take my sin out of the way. 
and I'm going to stop trusting in myself and what I can do for myself and start resting in Jesus plus nothing else. Lord, make me yours. I'm putting my trust in you. Friend, if that's a prayer that you've prayed, if that's the desire of your heart, it's been accomplished. It's been done. You are a part of God's family, and we rejoice in that. Friend, if you're here and that's your circumstance, I encourage you to write on your communication card or if you're your Connect card or if you're listening online that you would communicate through that online Connect card or through email or text or some other way. Let us know of the decision that you made. It's so important that you would get started on a good path and we can help you with that. And we so desire to do so and it would be our deepest encouragement to hear from you the way that the Lord has worked in you. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Help us to be a people who don't just with blinders move ourselves forward in this season, but imagine where you would desire to take us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.